Swim check one, two. Bike check one, two. Run check one, two. I think we're ready. Let's try this. Welcome to the Try Beginner's Luck podcast, a podcast where we explore the sport of triathlon from a variety of perspectives to help beginner triathletes on their journey. I am your host, Nashonda Shines. Welcome back to another edition of Try Beginner's Luck. I hope you've enjoyed who we've had on for this month of February. I try to always bring um, exciting, interesting people to the show. And this week, it's, I don't even know what to say. I'm speechless because I'm so excited about who I get to introduce you to. I love the fact that being a black woman in this space allows me to think in a diverse way, just quite naturally, because that's who I am, right? So I'm always thinking about how can I be and continue to bring diversity and still amplify the voices of those who are not always heard. And so here we are, our last week of Black History Month, but we are, I am Black History. And so every time I get to come on, it's a representation of that. But most importantly, we are history, period. Because anytime that we get a moment to be here and to do something and to step out and try something different, we're creating our own historic blueprint. And so today, this is, I get to bring to try beginner's luck, Mr. Michael Dream Chaser Smith. And if you follow him on TikTok or if you follow him uh, through his journey on Instagram, you know he's a personality. And I know he's going to come and show out because he's going to be who he's going to be. But I want to tell you a little bit of how I came to know Mr. Michael. And this was before he became this elite para triathlete. I got the opportunity to ride with Michael back when he was living in Washington, D.C. with an organization called GII. And I'll never forget, big personality. He's very, you know, you know how riders are. You know, it's a certain type of genocide quoi that can be kind of cocky, you know, like very assured of themselves. <laughs> and so... Of course, we were riding together. And then after the ride, you know, just kind of asking him questions. He's like, what? I'm a triathlete. I do this. I do that. And I was like, uh. because, you know, when people are mansplaining stuff, you just be like, all right, whatever. And you block them out their mind. But I remember him telling me how he was leaving to go to, um, I think at the time it was California. And I really lost touch, but still was connected via social media. And then when he was like, he was a triathlete, I just didn't get it. But it's so without further ado i get to bring to you mr michael dream chaser smith who is an elite paratriathlete welcome to try beginners luck michael how you doing i'm good i appreciate you having me i appreciate you of course <laughs> you have a huge personality excuse me i say you talk about my personality you have a huge personality what'd you say huh what? Of course I do. <laughs> I mean, hence I'm the host of the Traffic in this Look podcast. No. And right. you're right. I do have a big personality like you. And I think that's why we were able to, uh, while it was, it's all love, right? You know, we being who we are makes us just that. So anyway, I'm excited to have you on because you represent so many different boxes. Since that's what we do in this 2023, we check boxes these days. Let me see if I got somebody who checks this box, this box, right. that box, right? So, right, yeah. Um, and you have a story that's so unique. Not only um, are you a triathlete, but you are former military, you know, and right. your story goes back to when you were in high school being an athlete and then transitioning to the military and then having some incidents that's happened and then having to adjust life a little bit. 
So let's get into mm. a little bit of your story. Tell us about um tell us about your start. Like what sports did you play when you were growing up? Tell us about who Michael Dream Chaser Smith is. Uh I mean, being from Texas, uh, you know, the, the huge sports in Texas is track and field, basketball, and football. So, you know, I dabbled in all of those, um, mainly basketball and track. Um, I excelled in basketball, and that was one of the things that I just knew that was going to get me out the way. and I was going to be able to pursue at, at, at higher levels. And, you know, uh, just God just had different plans for me. Um, upon graduating high school, I ended up going right into the military. And that was unexpected. I didn't see that. I would say not even, I didn't even see that till like the end of my, towards the end of my senior year. So that's uh, that's how my journey began, um, going into the military and, and just to initially went in to support my family, my mom and my sister, you know, growing up in a single parent household, being the oldest and being the man of the house, you know, you want to make sure everybody's taken care of. So, you know, that was the move I decided to make um, and, and for the benefit of my sister and my mom. So making a sacrifice is what so many people um, who come from single family parents have to make a choice of what do I do? Do I go to school? Do I, you know, go into the military? Do I go to work? And so you went to kind of do a double service. You went to serve and provide for your family, but you also got an opportunity to serve and provide for this country. And so one, I say right. thank you for even being selfless enough to do that. Um, so let's talk about your your journey in the military and what did that look like for you coming from Texas, going in to serve um, your country? Yeah. Uh, it was, um, I would say the first three years were just a blur. Um, everything was just so fast for me. I Coming from Texas, my first duty station after basic training was New York. Um, and I remember getting to New York in December and it was like a snowstorm. To me, it was considered a snowstorm. To them, that was like an everyday thing. So Fort Drum, upstate New York, that weather up there is a little ridiculous. But I just remember my first my first couple of years was just a blur. Um, everything went by so fast because I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to uh, get promoted and I'm trying to just figure this new lifestyle out um, on top of, you know, playing basketball and still doing the things I love, still learning how to be a man, to be honest with you, going to the military at 18. There's so many things that I'm trying to pick up on the fly as I go. Um, and I just remember when it was time for me to, because initially I was only going to stay in four years. And I just remember a year away from me getting out, you know, they came to me and was like, hey, so, you know, first three years is really nothing. Uh, you probably need to experience some more and, you know, just like high school, I plan to go play college basketball. And just like the military, I plan to do three or four years and get out. And it just didn't work that way. You know, it's funny how we have plans, but God steps in and interrupts it all. And you just got to be willing to go with it. You know what I mean? And, you know, and some, sometimes we don't know what he's doing. I mean, he always does, but I ended up staying. So, I, you know, I just feel like my maybe even my first 10 years was just a blur, like, so many things were happening. I was going so many different places. I mean, in 24 years, I moved 19 times. So I was just on the go. Yeah, I was just on the go. 24 years, 19 times, and I'm complaining about having to move again. It's about God's plan. Like you, you, it's like you're ministering to me without ministering to me and and speaking right to me, you know, because we do, we have so many plans that we want to do. And yet we know that it says that many are the plans of man, but you know, God has his own thing and what he wants to do. And it's following that, that sometimes it's hard to, it's hard to accept when you receive those quote unquote failures. And you're like, but why me knowing it's for a greater purpose, because there's something out there afterwards that he's trying to get you to. And I, I grapple with that sometimes. And I do ask the question why when I shouldn't, 
But you're right. He has a plan that's better for any of us that we can ever think or imagine. And so your first 10 years of the military were a blur. And I can only imagine that, especially the things that you go through and, you know, traveling from place to place and not being able to have roots and settle and being away from your family and getting homesick. So how did being in the military drive you to getting into sports and being active again? Um, you know, I would say, um, just growing up in Dallas and then being in the military, uh, definitely was a catalyst when it came to, uh, my athletic career. Um, just being, just being resilient, um, being able to just overcome adversity and just, um, knowing like, you know, the odds are always against me. So, um, that's all I know. It's funny because I just told my coach that, you know, when dealing with this recent, most recent situation, just I just feel like all the odds are always against me. And so it's not that uh it's not that I even care anymore. I just expect it. You know what I mean? And that drives me. I'm just I'm ready for it. Like I I tell everybody all the time, like when there's something challenging or something in my way, there's something I gotta do. I my favorite thing, anybody that knows me is like, yeah, I'm ready for all that smoke. Give it, just bring it to me. I'm ready for the smoke. Cause I'm going to see my way through it regardless. So regardless of what it looks like and how long it may take, you know, um, I'm just going to just, just bring me all the smoke. I'm ready for it. So when going into sports, you know, just, you know, just when you're in the military, you got to do the military and sports or you got to do the military and X, Y, Z, go to school, raise a family, whatever that may be. Um, I just, I'm just automatically ready for the smoke. Well, since you're ready for that smoke, let's talk about your try life. So okay. how did you get into sport? Into a triathlon? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, it's really funny. It happened on accident, to be honest with you. Um, triathlon was something I was never interested in. Um, I was a natural runner, from running in the military, doing track. Uh, a part of my recovery from losing my arm was cycling. So I had cycled from state to state. I did a program called uh, Ride to Recovery. So I was already cycling across the country, doing like hundreds of hundreds of miles at a time. So um, I was actually on the skeleton, the paraskeleton bobsled national team. And a friend of mine reached out to me who lived in Augusta, Georgia, and was like, hey, uh, do you want to <laughs> do you want to come do this uh, triathlon? And I was like, yeah, nah, man. I was like, nah. He was like, no, we're gonna do a relay. Yeah, I'll do the relay part, that's easy. What do you need me to do? He's like, well, you have a bike, just bring your bike. Got it, 56 miles, I'll bust that down fast. That's nothing. All right, too easy. So I get to, uh, I, he flies me in, get me to the hotel. And I remember getting to the hotel and there was like the huge display setup. Like, you know how they do it Iron Man, like, Vendors everywhere. This one was in the hotel. And I was just like, what What kind of triathlon is this? And it wasn't until I actually went down after I checked in and went downstairs and met up with my friend. And I was like, man, what is an Ironman? I, I had no idea. I never even heard of one at the time. And um, so he's telling me, and I was just like, man, people do this on their own? That's crazy. There's no way. Uh, nah, there's, I couldn't do it. So, um, the next day, he comes to me and was like, hey, so the guy that's doing our swim, not going to be able to come. He's not feeling well. So you need to do the swim. So naturally, me, bring this. OK, so what do I need to do? Just tell me. He's like, well, we're going to put on a wetsuit. Have you ever swum in a wetsuit? Not at all. So we went and found a wetsuit. Um, I found a pool, got in the pool. And I was like, oh, yeah, OK. All right. I can do this. One of the guys told me, he was like, yeah, so for the Augusta Half Ironman, like, because of the river, you can look like a legit, like a bag of potato chips can float down the river and still make the cutoff. So I was like, oh, okay, I'm good. I can do that. So mind you, I had never swam in a wetsuit. So the next morning we get up and we're getting all my gear together and we go down and yeah, I'm not nervous. I was just like, all right, well, this is something I got to do. So I... Mind you, I walked, so I, we walked down a transition. I walked down in veins. 
that's that's what I walked down there to transitioning was in van. So um, I do the swim, uh, get out the, uh, do the swim, struggled a little bit because the wetsuit was tight, never swam in one, get out the water, transition onto the bike. So I'm giving it my all on the bike. I'm trying to make up for the time I did in the water. Uh, I, in my head, I'm thinking all I have to do is the bike so I can just go hard, get out the bike. Uh, I'm sitting down in transition and one of the officials comes up to me and was like, hey, uh, you're going to have to start the run because your relay partner has blisters on his hands. And I was like, wait, what? So my re my partner that was supposed to do the relay is a double leg amputee. So I was like, but he has blisters on his hands. What does that have to do with him running? He has prosthetics. He has metal feet. That has nothing to do with nothing. He's like, well, y'all need to get started because it's a relay, fine, whatever. So mind you, I went down to transition in vans. So I put on my vans and I just take off running. Like I come out of transition and I just take off running. And um, at this point, I had never ran anything over like eight miles at this time, like in one shot. So am I, I'm going out to transition. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I stopped by the first aid station and there was this guy there and he goes, do you plan on doing this entire run in these shoes? And I told him, yeah, these are the only shoes I have because I wasn't expecting to do the run. Uh, he asked me what size shoe I wore. I told him, and he gave me his shoes off his feet. And I continued to do the race. And I just remember I struggled. The heat got to me. You know, Augusta, Georgia, that heat and humidity is no game. Uh, that'll break the most talented athlete off. So um, I remember I struggled, uh, got dizzy, was throwing up, and then finally hit that red carpet, made it in enough time. And I just remember hitting that red carpet, hearing my name being called, and it was like everything before that point had not no longer mattered. Um, and I just remember the excitement and joy I felt hitting that red carpet and crossing the finish line. Um, and that was my introduction to triathlon. And I just remember that joy, that, that feeling I got from crossing the finish line because triathlon is a 100% individual sport. Um, you have to rely on your training and your nutrition and all that stuff and your strategy. So when I crossed the finish line, I immediately knew, like, I was like, man, this sport is for me. This is, this is what I want to do. Cause it's so hard. Um, I had made the national team for skeleton bobsled. I had made that team in like legit, maybe two months. I was on the national team gearing up for the like Paralympics. So it was challenging, but not as not, not even near nearly as challenging as this triathlon. So um, shortly thereafter, I, I left that race. I went, came back to Texas train. My first race was in Canada for, um, or actually it was in Salt Lake City for uh, skeleton bobsledding. My very first run, I crashed. I took stitches under my chin and broke my ribs. I remember as soon as I got off that, as uh, soon as I got off my sled, the girl standing off to the side um, that was doing photography, had on a USA triathlon shirt. Um, and then it had the Ironman logo at the bottom. And I just remember going back to the warm hut and I told my coach, I was like, hey, after this, I think I'm done. And she just looked at me and I was like, yeah, I was like, this is too violent for me. I just, I think I'm done. Went back home, prayed about it, talked to my family about it and switched over to triathlon just like that. Oh, that was a mouthful. That's is it was a lot to pull out. I'm gonna see if I can like retract it all. Cause first of all, you mentioned my hometown. Shout out to Augusta, the AUG. <laughs> okay. And you're right, that humidity <laughs> and that heat is not a game. It's not a joke. Yeah. But you went down there thinking you were only gonna do the bike because that's what you were able to do through your recovery. Then all of a sudden you are challenged with swimming. Thank goodness you can swim. And right. putting on a wetsuit for the first time. You overcame so much and then all of a sudden you run. So essentially you do the whole race by yourself. Yeah. And you were supposed to be a part of a relay team. Right. Yep. And you didn't even train for it all, but you were already fit because that's what you do. But my goodness. Right. Whoa, yep. whoa, I, I'm stunned. And I'm quite sure the listeners and viewers are probably stunned too, but 
there's not many people who can just go into a race thinking they're doing one part and then literally do the entire race. And so I think there is definitely just something very special about you and who you are, hence why you are an elite paratriathlete. And so I commend you for like the mindset that you have. It's like, okay, there's a challenge. I can accept and meet the challenge. And you have the courage to be able to go out and do that. And nothing at this point catches you off guard because you stay ready. Yeah. Yeah, if you stay ready, you have to get ready. I mean, that's at least what I hear. It's like you just, you you, you stay ready. But I want to backtrack <laughs> it a little bit because I don't think we talked about how you lost your arm. Because that happened yeah. in an accident, right? So, you know, you go mm -hmm. from being an able body to not being, you know, to having to make some adjustments in life. So let's talk about mm -hmm. that a little bit. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I won't be as long-winded as the as the triathlon story. Uh, I'll say this. Uh, returning back from, you know, uh, combat, I went into Army recruiting. Just one particular night, I was out with some friends. We was on bikes. Uh, we wasn't acting up. We was just riding. And um, a lady legit just, she hit me. Uh, she was texting and driving. She hit me on the highway. This is in front of the Titan Stadium in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, it knocked me over the guardrail to oncoming traffic. And uh, I just remember twirling in the air. And a white F-150 came and knocked my arm, like legit knocked my arm off. Um, I remember I came to just because of the sounds of cars passing and cars and the honking of the horns and stuff. And uh, my reaction was I needed to get off the road before I get hit. And I just remember scooting back to the guardrail and, uh, you know, I went to uh, stand up and I like I started pulling my arm out of my motor motorcycle jacket. Uh, and it was just an unbearable pain, like something I had never felt before. And um i ended up passing out and when i came to again my head was in some, a young lady's lap and you know i tell you how god works uh i know i was on my way out but uh i carry a tourniquet just because in the military you know i carry a tourniquet in a, in a first aid uh a little first aid pouch with me in my motorcycle i had a tourniquet in my motorcycle jacket and the ladies explaining to me like hey you're losing a lot of blood i need to stop the bleeding when um, I was like, hey, look, I have a tourniquet. Um, if you'll get that tourniquet, I can tell you how to apply it and stop the bleeding so I don't die. And she immediately told me, she was like, I'm a Navy corpsman, which is the military's nurse, pretty much. They're like, they're like nurses on to the extreme. And like, soon as she said, oh, I'm a Navy corpsman, like I, that was it. I passed out and I didn't come to for like another day or so. But as soon as she told me that, that was like God's way of telling me, like, you're you're fine. Cause I was ready to instruct her how to save my life, but then I had to. She she already knew what she was doing. Um, and the crazy thing is I've never talked to that lady again. I've been trying to find this woman, never been able to find this woman. I've been trying to find out who she was. And I mean, the every time I tell this story, I feel like maybe I am I making this up because I cannot find I can't find this woman. But yeah, that's that's how I lost my arm. So I'm trying to fight from crying, number one. <laughs> number two, I wholeheartedly believe that that was an angel. Yeah. You know, and so yeah. to see that, and because I believe the impact of what you said resonates so much with me and being able to know that, ah, okay, that's why it's so important, like, you never know who you're in the presence of. And when we are not kind and when we aren't nice, we could literally be in the presence of angels, people who are there to help us. You know, just in yeah. moments like this, Michael, where you were able to have your life saved because she she was there as, mm -hmm. you know, a person who had medical training to be able to assist you in that moment. 
Yeah. And the, the crazy thing is, the crazy thing is, there's not a Navy installation nowhere around. It. It's all Army. This is Nashville, Tennessee, like Kentucky, Backwood, all like there's not any body of water where there's no like none of that. And so for her to tell me she's a Navy corpsman in, in Tennessee, like, as, like I said, the more, the more and more I tell you this story or tell this story, this happened in 2011. I, every time I tell this story, like people reach out and like, oh, I'm gonna help you find this lady. I'm gonna help you this, that, and the other. And then I, they just give baby like, man, I, I don't know. And I just tell them like, yeah, I, yeah. And I, I mean, like, at, like I said, at the end of the day, man, it's, you know, that's, it was just God, man. But I mean, I, there's no other explanation and I'm not going to even try to justify it. Like it's, it's just God. He was there. He was with me. Like he is always. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. He's going to get all this, huh? No, nah, I wasn't prepared for it. There's not, there's not many things that shake me up on here, right? But yeah. this has me in a just really a more grateful, um, just to receive and to appreciate the gift that we get to do this. You know, oftentimes mm -hmm. um, you, you, you can go through different trials and tribulations and just Hence me complaining early about why me, you know, and, but then you realize that the moment that we get an opportunity to still breathe, to still be here on earth, that's a gift. And then to couple it with the things that we do go to work, that's a gift. To be able to hug and love on our family members, that's a gift. And you know, obviously, you know, triathletes have multiple skills that we do. And but to be able to try, it's a gift. And sometimes we can take that gift for granted. And yeah. hearing your story, it just reminds me of being grateful and how if we do what we're supposed to do, if we're where we're supposed to be. Everything will always work out the way it's supposed to. Everything will. And so. I'm just grateful that that lady in that moment, wherever she thought she needed to be, she was where she was supposed to be so she could help you. Oh yeah, and now 100%. Percent. to tell I, about it, so. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, this is probably a part of the podcast where people are like, wait a minute, I was, uh, you know, probably riding my bike and wasn't expecting to hear that. And then their heart rate drop a little bit because they're just like, oh, what's going on? Wow. And yeah. so- you pass out, you see that you've lost your, your arm. This is now a new life for you. What was that process of rehabilitation from a mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual level? What was that like for you? And, you know, it was, uh, it was like, like life altering, like in a matter of moments, like I couldn't, I couldn't, grasp the concept of me being without my arm. Like I just, I couldn't, uh, multiple, multiple surgeries. I mean, to top it all off, the day that I lost my arm, my aunt found out she was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And so my mom is with me. My grandmother is with me. My uncle is with me. And they're with me in Tennessee. And then we find, they find all this out while they're with me. And my aunt is back here in Texas. So, like, my family is just, like, in all sorts of disarray right now. My grandfather had just passed. Like, it's just, like, all over the place right now. You know what I mean? Like, it's just so much. And when I finally, I feel like when I finally came to grips with me losing my arm, I ended up having kidney failure on my couch. So, yeah, it's so... You know, most people hate Alabama because Alabama. I hate Alabama because I was watching the Alabama game when I when my kidneys fell on my couch. So I can't stand Alabama. But uh, yeah, I'm sitting on my couch and my and I was feeling sick. My roommate at the time was like, "Hey," uh, I told him he was like, "Man, go you know go jump in the shower. You probably just your meds messing with you, X Y Z." So I go do that. Turn on the shower. Stuck my hand in the shower. I pass out. I wake up. Uh, a day later uh, in the hospital, 
checked into the hospital. Um, the nurse, when I wake up, the nurse is there. She was like, oh, Mr. Smith. And I was like, yeah, what's, like, what's going on? And she was like, I'm so happy to hear you talk. She was like, because I just we just knew you was going to have brain damage coming out of this. And I was just like, fill me in. What's going on? She was like, well, we don't really know. Your blood pressure was through the roof. Um, all your signs are like out of whack. So we're just trying to figure out what's going on. And like legit, like in a matter of four, four or five days in about a week, I had, I because I couldn't eat. I had lost so much weight. I had dropped down to like almost 98 pounds. Like I couldn't walk. Like everything was just going to shit. Like when I tell you my surgeon from my arm came to say his goodbyes to me. Like I was having friends in the area who had gotten word and people in the hospital who knew me because I was always cracking jokes, laughing. That's my personality. They had heard they was hearing what was going on. We had this soldier who got into a motorcycle accident. Now it's having like who is sick. We don't know what's going on with him, but he's dying. That was what was going on. And people were saying their goodbyes to me. And so mind you, my aunt that got diagnosed with stage four cancer, who was, you know, when you go through that, that scenario, scenario, you get in the meds and all that. She was on home hospice. So like now you're loopy. Everything is like you're in and out. So a couple of our conversations was just off the wall, but she called me this one particular day and she goes, Hey nephew, what are you doing? I was like, I'm in the hospital like you. And I was like, but you know, I, I think I'm dying. She was like, Oh, we got that in common. She was like, but I'm gonna throw myself a going away party. So my aunt threw herself a going away party. Like that's how her relationship with God was. She accepted it. It was out of this world. But she tells me, she was like, um, she was like, hey, I'm gonna switch spots with you. Now this is where this is where it gets, this is where it gets really real. She was like, I'm gonna switch spots with you. I was like, what are you talking about? She was like, it's not time for you to go. So let me tell you what's going on. She was like, where's your doctor at? So my aunt was a nurse. She was like, where's your doctor? And I was like, he just walked into the room. She was like, put me on speakerphone. All right. So before I do it, I tell him, I was like, hey, my aunt, she might say something off the wall. Just go with it. I'm just prepping him, right? So she goes, hey, have y'all found out what's going on with my nephew and why, you know, he's potentially dying? And he was like, no, ma'am. Like, we're trying to run tests, this, that, and the other. She was like, his kidneys are failing. And this look on his face, he was like, it was like a, a light above his head. It was just like, thing, and he was just like, he was like, Mr. Smith, I'll be right back. He comes into the room with like four or five doctors, and they're talking all this medical lingo. I'm on the phone with my aunt, and she was like, hey, she was like, hey, nephew, I'll see you soon. And we got off the phone. That was the last time I verbally talked to her. They take me back. They running all these tests. Come to find out I was having renal kidney failure. Like my kidneys were gone. Yeah. Put me on uh, um, all types of meds. Put me on the machine like uh, dialysis. Yeah. Um, it was just, it was crazy. Um, so my aunt literally saved my life. But then my mom calls me like a week later and was like, hey, your aunt's not doing good, but she's waiting on you. Like, we feel like that's what's happening. I called my friend, I was like, hey, my keys are in my drawer. Like, when you get here, I'm gonna have one of these nurses I've been flirting with, take me downstairs and I'm gonna meet you downstairs at my truck. And uh, he was like, what are we doing? I was like, oh, we driving to Dallas. I was like, I gotta see my aunt. We're driving to Dallas and legit, we got in my truck and we drove 12 hours straight shot. Uh, and I'm sick as a dog. Like I don't my, unplug myself from the machine. I don't snuck out the hospital. We drive all the way to, uh, to Dallas, Texas. Legit, I pull up in the driveway. I walk in, nobody knew I was coming. Nobody knew. They're all looking at me. This is the first time anybody's seen me since I lost my arm. I walk in, I go straight to my uh, aunt's bedroom and I gave her a kiss on her forehead. And she passed away. Wow. What a story. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think 
I'm, 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 I'm speechless, you know, like to have to experience all this, you were set on seeing your aunt. And even though your aunt was quote unquote loopy, she knew what she was talking about and was oh, yeah. able to save your yeah. life. And so she was an angel again in that moment. And so thank God yeah. for your aunt for calling you and for quote unquote, throwing herself a party and her faith walk being what it is and, you know, to help save your life. And so, wow, yeah. wow, wow. Um, okay, here we go. You flirting with the you're flirting with the people in the hospital. You supposed to be sick. You sit up here flirting with the women in the hospital. But you know, yeah, that's your genetic say qua, right? That's your show vibe. Yeah, that's 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 yeah, exactly. Oh man. Um, okay, so all this is happening and you're doing sport. So how did this affect your training and when was it the moment that you said, oh, let's just go back. How did this affect your training? So typically uh, when something like this happens in the military, you, you go through their recovery process and then they medically retire. They basically put you out. Um, and like years of like recovery and, getting over my arm and other issues that I was, you know, dealing with. Um, you know, I went through like a, a, a brief stint with opioid addiction, like to my pain meds and it was just bad. Like, but uh, I remember what made me turn around is my youngest daughter. Um, I was just feeling bad for myself or whatever. And my youngest daughter was like, you know, dad, uh, she was like, you're still like, you're, you're my superhero. Like no matter what, no matter if you losing your arm, your kidney, like you're still my superhero. You're still the person I look up to every day. And that right there was just like, that was enough. Like that was it. That changed everything for me. I immediately like checked myself in to like kick my, my pain medication. So I was in there for like 30 days, but in there, while I was in there, I'm reestablishing my relationship with God. I'm talking to him like three or four times a day, very candid conversations. We're talking about the past, the present, the future. And uh, that's when I decided, like, man, this is, I mean, he just kind of let me know, like, your, your story, this is your journey. This is your story. This is your testimony. Uh, and it, it's not over. And I decided right then and there, I was like, okay, this is not over. So I just began my challenge with my my battle with the military. I just let, let them know, like, man, y'all not going to put me out. Like, I have way too many qualities for you just to put me out. Like, just because I don't have an arm doesn't mean anything. I'm still a leader. I have way too much knowledge to pass on to these younger troops uh, than to for y'all to let me for y'all to put me out. So um, I battled, battled, battled. Uh, met President Obama, told him my situation, this, that, and the other. Um, him being who he is with his strings that he could pull, and I went to the Army Medical Board, and yeah, I basically, you know, provided everything I needed to do, and I became the first above the elbow amputee in the history of the military to be able to stay active duty. So they allowed me to continue on with my career. So I became the first one to ever do that. Um, and at the time, there was a lady that was in charge, uh, Tabitha Gabia. She told me, she was like, you know, God just charged you. You know, you don't hear God mention a lot in the military, but she was like, God just charged you with a huge responsibility. Everything you do is going to be marking the path for others. Like you, this is your journey. This is your story. This is your testimony. Like, even when you don't realize it, you're still inspiring and motivating others. So just keep that in mind as you move in your action daily. So um, a part of my rehab was to be physical. And sports, you know, like, you know, sports is like the catalyst to everything, man. It's like, there's so there's so many things that comes along with sports. You know what I mean? Like, you're not feeling good. You can go for a run. You're gonna be, you know, you could just mentally disconnect from Everything that's going on around you, you can have the worst day in the world and you can go get on your trainer and mentally disconnect, right? You can go swim and just mentally disconnect. You can go for a run and just mentally disconnect. Um, so I started engaging myself in sports and, you know, I, I had a lot of phenomenal people along the way that um, have supported me and been supporting me and things of that nature. And 
root me on. And I had a lot of naysayers too, you know, and I appreciate the naysayers. That's just like fuel to the fire for me. So I love it. And uh, everything I did, I felt like was a challenge. I mean, I did marathons, half marathons. Uh, I mean, ultras, uh, obstacle course races, ride my bike across the country. I mean, and this is all during my healing. And like, I just invited all the smoke. I just wanted it. I was literally looking for it. Like I, I wanted it. Like that's what I wanted. I wanted all that smoke. That's 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 who I am though as a person. That's how I've always been. So I just yeah, I just oh I'm not supposed to. You're right. Let's go. Love your attitude. I come for this smoke. Yes. Okay, so we've okay. Ooh, we've heard so much today. And it's I feel like it's a good emotional exercise that we've been on today just the journey of hearing how you've constantly been overcoming and so your first triathlon you were kind of thrusted into a triathlon not just any triathlon but a half iron distance race so let's talk about your second race in which you were able to properly train for it tell us about that and what did you learn through that race uh, so my second race was actually worse than my first. Um, I was properly trained for it. And, um, I went into that race, um, going, just trying to go for it. You know what I mean? And just, I did too much too soon. Um, I overexerted myself, um, in my head, I was thinking I've done this before without training. Now that I'm trained, like I'm supposed to go out here and I'm supposed to try to make some noise, this, that, and the other. And I ended up hurting myself. Like, um, I almost didn't cross the line in time. I was actually slower than the first time. Uh, I have pictures where um, my teammates, people that I, the organization I went to go do Augusta again with, were like carrying me. Like I had my, like carrying me because I had no legs. It was one of those moments, like if they would have let me, um, if they would have let me, it would have been one of those moments where um, I'd have been crawling on the carpet type thing. Yeah. So, so yeah. your first race was Augusta and it mm-hmm. was just by fluke that you did the whole thing. And then the second race you were trained and you went balls to the wall. Mm-hmm. I, you know, in my mind, when I asked that question, I thought you say, yeah, so I went and did a sprint. <laughs> oh yeah. I went and did an Olympic. I had, had no idea that you were about to say you went and did Augusta again. And so what did you yeah. learn from that Augusta experience the second time that could help a first time or help athletes in general? What did you learn from that? Uh, nutrition. Nutrition. And um, I, one of the things I, I absolutely believe, like if you take care of your nutrition during that race, um, during a, especially a half, even a full, like you'll be okay. Like if you take your time and take care of your nutrition, like, and stay on top of it, you'll be fine. I didn't stay on top of my nutrition. I would, I let myself bonk. And you know as well as I know, once you bonk in the race, there's no coming back. It, it's really over. Unless you just like one of these top 10 pros in the world, like Fernando and all these boys, like you can't, you can't let yourself go because there's no recovery. You can't recover for it. Um, once you go, you go, especially from that heat. So that was one of the lessons that I learned. And I also learned you got to stay within yourself. Um, stay within what you've learned, stay within your training. Anytime you go outside of what you've done in your training and you start experimenting so during a race, you're just setting yourself up for failure. And we hear it time and time again, don't try anything new on race day. So clearly this is something that just holds true. No matter who you think you are, don't try anything yep. new on race day. Okay, so how did you go from trick race to bonk race to being an elite paratriathlete like what did it take for you to qualify to be a part of the elite team so um i so i did a couple more uh halves and i did a like a two fulls um and i actually learned i was in the dmv when i started dabbling into the sprint distance and olympic distance um I think, excuse me, I had posted 
that I had podium at like a couple of local triathlons in Virginia. And a friend of mine, a former friend of mine, told me like there's a there's a para triathlon team. And I was like, uh, okay. But it was like sprint, and I was like, mm, I really don't dig sprints like that because it's the, your heart rate is zone five the entire time. Um and I went to a camp, I went to a race, and I actually qualified for nationals, like, on a whim. Like, I didn't even, I wasn't trying to. I was just racing to be racing, and I qualified. And I just remember that feeling that I got. And I was like, man, this is pretty dope. And it takes so much to be, in, like, an elite at anything, let alone win or podium. So um, I just started chasing this this paratri dream, and, um, you know, um, just started racing as much as I could. Um, you know, it's been a lot of ups and downs. You know, I got the opportunity to be a, a triathlete for the Army, so that was my job in the Army. Um, you know, I was in the world class, Army World Class Athlete Program, so the last three years of my career, um, the Army was like my 100% sponsor, so that was my job in the Army was to be an Army triathlete. So that was pretty dope to be able to represent my country as a soldier and an athlete. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, race towards my goal, Team USA. Like, not a lot of people get that opportunity and say they can ever say they've done that. Matter of fact, there's only two of us in the history um, that's ever done it. You know what I mean? So uh, that was that was an honor, and, I, you know, I really appreciated it. Um, but then it just came to a time where I was just like, you know, it's time for me to get really, really serious with this, and I can't have any distractions when it comes to chasing this goal. Um, I felt like I've spent my entire adult life servicing others, you know, sacrificing for others, um, putting everybody else before myself. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to retire and I'm just going to put myself before everybody. I'm about to be extremely selfish. And uh, that's that's what I'm doing. Um, you know, um, I will say uh, pursuing triathlon is the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life. It tops going to combat, getting ready for combat. It tops being in the Army for 24 years. Training for triathlon at, at an elite level, trying to like trying to get to the Paralympics has been one of the most difficult things I've ever done. It's been the most enjoyable things, too. But I've learned a lot of life lessons from triathlon. Um, I would say I would venture to say if it wasn't for triathlon, as I've gone through this last chapter of my life or this 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 chapter that I'm in. I would have had a, I would have had a lot rougher time. But the less the life lessons that I've learned from tri triathlon have helped me get through my personal life. Hmm. So training to be an elite paratriathlete is harder than being in the army. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That that states a lot, you know. Um, but I don't want to scare anybody. So listen. <laughs> you, you don't have to go to the elite level, but, you know, start where you are. And I think, you know, the journey presents a challenge that will always make you better. And what I hear oh, yeah. when I hear you talking is that although triathlon is one of the hardest things that you've done, especially going after, you know, being a lead and trying to qualify for the Olympic team is each step of the way you've changed. And I think that's kind oh, yeah. of indicative of, you know, the, the, the process of life of being pruned and, you know, shedding out the bad in order to receive the good. And so I, I really, I, I love hearing you share your story and at least I'm inspired by your story that you, you've never given up, you've never stopped. And you mentioned something at the beginning of, um, of the interview, if I remember correctly about a most recent situation and so is, did, does something happen more recently? Because I know you you had hopes to go out for the 2024 Olympics. And so that team was just announced uh, last week. So tell right. me about uh, that, because I don't, I, I don't recall seeing you, but I know you are a part of the elite team. So talk a little bit about what recently transpired that you mentioned earlier at the beginning of the race. Yeah, so I would say, uh, I would say, Last year is when um, I had, so I just got a new coach um, here in Dallas. Um, and she's the reason, my coach is the reason why I'm even in Texas because I was planning on going back to the DMV. But um, we decided to 
like 2024 is just not in our sights because of how far back I am and things of that nature and trying to transition into being a, a civilian and then injuries I were having. And then I was just having difficulties uh, during some of my training sessions, some of the training blocks. Um, so, yeah, so, um, so we decided to switch gears and just go for 28. But in the midst of all of that, like this year, this, this first part of the year has been a, like a disaster. Um, like I caught COVID like right away in December. So I spent all December battling COVID and then, and, uh, I tore my calf. So I had a calf tear at the end of December or at the beginning of January. So I was recovering from that, doing all of that. And then just last week, as I'm taking my physical so that I can apply to race for international races and all that, um, my doctor comes back and tells me I have hypertrophy. It's ACM cardiomyopathy. So it's it's basically a heart condition um, where your heart muscles is just too big and um, you're not getting enough oxygen and your blood is not pumping through and all this stuff. So, uh, and I just found this out last Thursday. So once again, derailed. And, um, I, I will tell you if it, once again, if it wasn't for triathlon and my mental mindset, like, okay, well, this is just another obstacle. This is just another thing I got to get through. Um, and believe it or not, as you know, a lot of triathlon is a mental thing. Like it's, it's a lot of mental emotion that take place during training and racing and, um, a lot of preparing. And so uh, when I found that out, uh, I will tell you, it immediately shut down my world. Like it immediately, like as a babe, like I was crying like a baby, like snot bubbles and all. It was, it was all bad. Like I just knew it was over. And, you know, just once again, my support system, my family, friends, and my, especially my coaches, um, you know, talking to them and they just like, well, we'll deal with it as it comes, you know, and in my head, like I'm, I'm coming to grips and I was like, okay, well I'm coaching and coaching is one of those things that fills my bucket. It fills my bucket that I've come to find out more than actual triathlon, which is crazy because I never saw myself going down that road. But I was like, well, maybe God is trying to show me that I should be coaching and I should be sharing my experiences through coaching and inspiring others like that. Maybe I should be racing on the elite level and I should be trying to get somebody else there. You know, so that's the mindset I took on. Um, yeah, I went to the doctor and, you know, that's what they said. And um, just yesterday, I mean, since we talked just yesterday, the, um, my doctor called me and was like, yeah, man, so you're good to go back to training. Uh, hey, man, put that in the email. Yeah, I was like, put that in the email. Like, because I don't want to know misunderstandings. These phones be breaking up. I just need to understand what you just said. He was like, yeah, man. He was like, you know, uh, which you, your condition is not uncommon in Africans. It's just uncommon in Europeans. He was like, so your eco was perfect, but your EKG was off. So we're going to run more tests. But as of now, you can go back to training. He was like, I just need you to ease back into training as if you're coming off a respiratory infection or something like that. So don't overdo it, but go back into training. So he was like, and we're going to put a heart monitor on you. So I got to wear a hot monitor so they can check track all my stuff. But, you know, once again, it was just one of those things like, okay, well, uh, it's funny when I say bring the smoke, that doesn't always mean physically I'm, I'm ready to go overcome it. You know, that means like I'm ready mentally, emotionally, physically, tactically, I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it all. So however, uh, I'm going to engage it. Um, so I'll tell you the one thing that somebody told me years ago, uh, you ever hear you got to, pick your battles wisely. You heard that phrase, right? You got to pick your battles wisely. So I will say this. Yes, pick your battles wisely, but if you don't know how to fight, it doesn't matter because you're going to lose. Right? So pick your battles wisely, but you got to know how to fight that battle too. You got to know how to distinguish which is going to be which. Is this going to be something that you can muscle through and physically get through? Or this is this something that you you got to be tactful and you got to be tactically and tactfully sound about it. like emotionally. You got to be ready for all of that. Um, brute being brute and bronze, like doesn't always win. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like when I'm out and about and I see a dude with a lot of muscles, like man, I bring way more to the table than him. Anyway, I, I'm not worried about, I'm not intimidated by none of that. Like by the, made the best man win type thing. You know what I mean? So, um, uh, 
that's what that is. So, yeah. Well, one, congratulations on being able to continue to do what you love and, you know, getting that clean bill of health to continue to, to do what you love, because that is who you are. It's in the fabric of who you are. It's, it's to uh, compete at a high level, but also, and it's like a one and, and to coach, you know, you coach you, that's a passion of yours. You, you have a nonprofit organization. And so like, that's a part of you. So you can do both and, and there's no limits to what you can do. And so I just commend you while you have like a story of like overcoming after overcoming, after overcoming, after overcoming, and after listening or being present as you're I'm stuttering saying this it's just it's motivating so anyone listening to it it's like a motivator to not allow the things that may happen to slow you down or stop you and so I just want to say thank you for sharing your story with me and I know this is you know, it's, it's not an exhaustive story, but it is a taste of who you are. And I appreciate that you've shared it with us here at Tribe Beginner's Luck. And I mean, ladies and gentlemen, just so you know who you're talking to. Yes. Michael Dream Chaser Smith is um, one of the first to be in active military. And if I remember correctly, you were active military up until what, 2020? 2021. 2021. 2021. But in 2020, this is what I'm getting my facts a little mixed up on. In 2020, you were awarded the Military Sport Award by USA Triathlon. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. 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 So the 2020 Military Sport Award recognizes the multi-sport who uh, achieved men or women um, of the U.S. Army forces as a pursuit of their triathlon lifestyle while simultaneously meeting the high standards and work ethics required to fulfill their oath as members of the military. Um, so salute to you for doing that. And um, were you also man of the year as well at one point? Yep. So that same year, yeah, that same year I became, yeah, I, I 2020 was great for me. I had same year I got uh, the USA Triathlon Women's Committee voted me Man of the Year, and then uh, I was also voted uh, the USA Triathlon uh, Elite Team uh, Foundation Team Captain, however you want to say that. But yeah, so I was a team captain for the elite team. So yeah, yeah, love it. Accolades after accolades. But it took you to overcome to get there. So thank you for not quitting when things got rough, when things got hard. But I appreciate your story. And I, I do believe that we overcome when we get an opportunity to share each other's stories and we can inspire someone to maybe try again, to live, to try again. And so I thank you for sharing yeah. our story. We have some things we got to do because, you know, here at Tribe Beginners, like we do like to have a little bit of fun and incorporate some... Um, what do they call rapid fire questions? So okay. first up, do you have any race superstitions besides don't try anything new on race day? Uh, yeah. Um, so before any race, no matter how big or how small, no matter what state is on, I have to do my warm up by myself with music. And I have to stay to my own. You won't hardly, you'll see me talking to people in transition as I'm setting up. But after that, music on and I'll talk to anybody until after the race. Okay. Okay. All right. What song, since you put music in your ear, what song or songs get you pumped up? Um... That's a good one. So <laughs> when I'm working out or getting ready to do something, I'm a trap music fan. So hey, oh yeah, sorry, sorry. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I put my I have a 
playlist on Spotify. I just put on my my trap music that gets me into that that mode. You know what trap music do to you? It puts you in that mode like everything and everybody about to get it. So yeah, that's what I do. They about to get that smoke in that and that your word that smoke. That smoke. <laughs> yeah, that smoke. I'm about to get that smoke. Um. Where's your favorite place to bike? Because you've biked all over the world. So where's your favorite place to bike? Um, I would say back in like 2018, 2017, 2017, I got a chance to do some parts of the Tour de France course. And it was just beautiful. Um, just being out there and just being like on a historic uh, bike path or, uh, you know, a landmark, you know what I mean? Just knowing the, the top cyclists in the world come across this course. So that was probably my favorite. That was my favorite um, spot to be on. Who are you outside of triathlon? Man, I'm just a cool cat. I just, I, I'm just a real cool cat. Honestly, don't be super... <laughs> Be, be super honest, man. I'm just a cool cat that just like to see other people uh, flourish. And no matter what, what they do, um, I like to have a good time. I like to smile. Uh, but I would describe myself as just a real cool cat, man. Like, um, I care about people. Uh, I am super incredibly passionate about this sport. So this sport, I'm never really outside of this sport. It's a it's a part of my everyday life. You know what I'm saying? So um, just cool and just true to myself. I'm always going to be who I am and I don't switch up and change up for nobody. I don't care who you are, who you think you are, who you want to be, who you pretending to be. Like I'm going to be me. And I think I'm a cool cat. If you ask me, I think I'm the one of the coolest one arm cats in the world. If you ask me, that's if you ask me though. You know Did saying? you say coolest one arm cats in the world? Yeah. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I love it. That's if I you ask it. me though. Well, we did ask you, so we got the answer that we needed. Okay. We asked you. Okay, so from Super Sprint to Iron Man, one of the things that you are proud to focus on is inclusivity and diversity. Tell us something really quick um, about being inclusive and diverse and why is that important to you? Because um, I'm about everything and everybody. I mean, that's basically what my foundation is based on. Um, I want everybody... I want everybody to experience triathlon in, in, in my, in, through my lens. Um, I want them to know what it's done for me and what it can do for them. Um, so many times triathlon has been known as a, uh, you got to be super thin and super fit and super fast and have the best equipment. And you got to be this particular gender and whatever, whatever, like, nah, that ain't, that ain't, that's not right. That's not true. Um, I think uh, triathlon should be more open and welcoming everybody, no matter what you look like what you identify with, what you, what you, what you know, all of that. I just want people to enjoy it. And triathlon is just one of those things. It could change your life straight up because it's so much alone time. You're training alone. You're putting all this work into it. You know what I'm saying? Like, man, it's, it's, I'm telling you, man, triathlon has saved my life. I can wholeheartedly say that. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, yeah, it's, it's saved my life. You know what I mean? And, Man, I just want I just want other people to to be able to enjoy that and receive that experience. You know what I'm saying? And uh, it's just like anything else, you know. I just want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that path. I just want to create that path or kind of take my broom and you know sweep off some of the shavings that's on the road, so somebody else can come by me behind me and it not be so bumpy. They probably gonna hit obstacles, but it's not gonna be so bumpy. You know what I'm saying? I respect that. And so, ladies and gentlemen, he is the co-founder and found and president of Swim Bike Run for Equality. Real quick, 30 seconds or less, Dream Chaser, how did you get that nickname? My grandfather gave it to me. Um, uh, real quick, he just basically going through some things and he was like, son, like your dreams are your dreams are nobody else. You pursue them how you see fit. He was like, so trace your dreams. Always trace your own dreams. Um, and when I came home from the army one time, but not having such a good day or a good time. And he was like, son, these are your dreams. Be the dream chaser that you want to be. And it stuck with me. It's been stuck with me on my entire life, but little did I know that would become a part of my branding. I love it. 
And do you pee on the bike or get off and take a proper pee break? Man, I'm a I do sprints, so I ain't, I ain't got time. I don't if I pee on a sprint, man, I'm messed up. I don't I don't my me and my coach gonna be mad because the race plan is out the window if I got to pee during a race. Uh, <laughs> I think everybody takes a pee in their wetsuit. As soon as you get in, as soon as you get in the water, that's the first thing you do is pee in your wetsuit. You don't pee in your wetsuit? Ah, okay. uh, you trip. You ain't you ain't broke in your wetsuit yet, then. So here's this is not a question for me, but I'll answer it. When you first get in the water to pee, like no, I don't need to pee immediately when I get in the water. Man, and man, I don't like wear a wetsuit. I... I don't do races where I have to wear a wetsuit a lot. Uh, so no, I don't always. That's like the first time. Yeah. I probably yeah, so peed in my wetsuit you know, in Maryland. A... So, and when I did Ironman Maryland with all the jellyfish, oh, traumatic experience. Oh, yeah. I did pee in my wetsuit yeah. then because I just couldn't mentally get it off in time. So I did pee in my wetsuit then. But I'm more of a pee on the yeah. bike kind of person. Just let it go. Let it move on. You know, keep it moving. But yeah. yeah. With so that just, said, know, just, know, just know if we ever do a race together and we be side by side, I'm peeing. <laughs> okay. I will not swim by you. With that said, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much, Michael Dream Chaser Smith, for coming on to talk to us. Uh, I appreciate your stories. This has been so great. And, you know, whenever you try, you truly always win. Triathlon, as you heard, can save your life. I've mentioned it several times and how it has been such a positive influence in mine. And so whenever we can give you a good story, which is always, you know, we just want to encourage you to get out there and do something different to try, learn a new trick. You never know. You might've heard something today that you can try or just to be encouraged because I know there's so many people struggling right now with whatever it is, whether it's, you know, work, whether it's church, whether it's home, whether it's, you know, just familial, um, there's a lot happening in the world today. And so if this story or any of our stories can encourage you, we're doing our job. So thank you so much. I'm Mashonda and we're out. Peace. Thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode. We need your help so we can continue to try at TBL. So for more information on where you can find and subscribe to this podcast, visit www.trybeginnersluck.com. And don't forget, whenever you try beginner's luck, you always win.